Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to discuss opening week of Major League Baseball from highest paid players to team payrolls. There's some nifty promotions going on this year in Major League Baseball. We will discuss all of that coming up in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, we're going to stick with the baseball theme. Stan Kasten, he's the president of the Washington Nationals. The Nationals recently opened Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. Took a long time to get the park built, but it is now done, and it's a beautiful park. Got rave reviews, and what a storybook opening night. Ryan Zimmerman's walk-off home run wins the game for the Nationals. We will catch up with Stan Kasten, president of the Washington Nationals, in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined by producer Bobby Corser. Bobby, the second annual Sports Business Radio March Madness Bracket Challenge. It's a close battle. It all comes down to the last weekend. And one thing is for certain, I've got no chance of winning. I'm in 13th place, and I'm stinking it up. I do have UCLA and North Carolina. Actually, I just have UCLA. Uh, North Carolina is in another pool, but uh, I'm not faring so well, Bobby. Yeah, you know, it's okay. Uh, Caitlin Francis, who we will introduce you to eventually down the road, she's another part of the Sports Business Radio family, she was just absolutely beating everybody down. And then last weekend happened. Well, the funny thing is, this is the first time in the history of the tournament that four number one seeds have made the Final Four. And, you know, every year people are afraid to pick, hey, it's never going to happen, four number ones, there's always a two or a three or uh, a lower seed that finds their way into the Final Four. Davidson, a 10 seed, almost found their way into the Final Four. But this is the year where we see some Titanic matchups. Uh, Kansas, Memphis, UCLA, North Carolina, some real successful storied programs. I think it's going to be great ratings for CBS for the Final Four. I completely agree. And you know what? Just going back to our bracket, Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, second place. He's got three of the four. It's going to be close. It is going to be close. We've got headlines coming up next. We're going to tell you about the ratings for the NCAA tournament on CBS. Also, might we see some leaders, some world leaders, boycott the opening ceremonies of the Olympics this summer in Beijing? We'll discuss that and more coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. It's the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry. The Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. 
The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. CBS is averaging a 5.211 national Nielsen rating through 60 games of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. That's down 7.1% from a 5.612 for the same window last year. Nathan, we talked about this on the show last week. TV ratings are down because viewership online is up, and viewership online is up 129%. Those are huge numbers. But I do anticipate that this weekend... For the Final Four, we see four titanic basketball programs. Carolina, UCLA, Memphis, Kansas. These are some heavyweights. First time ever, four number one seeds have advanced. I think the TV ratings are going to be very good for this weekend. Yeah, and I love to disagree with you, Brian, but this time I've got to agree with you. I think the TV ratings are going to be through the roof. I think they're especially personally going to be through the roof if you see the North Carolina-UCLA matchup between Hansborough and Love. I think they're going to be off the charts. And But, you know, we talk about the Internet ratings. Those are the, the web ratings are the huge ones nowadays. The TV ratings for all sports moving forward, I think, are going to go down, and I think you're going to start to see online hits go through the roof. That's the, way, that's the future of watching sports. Well, and when you talk about storied college basketball programs, there are – not two more storied programs than North Carolina and UCLA. So if they were to meet in the finals, I think it would be enormous, as you said. Um, and then, you know, like you said, also the online stuff. Uh, this is the first year where you can watch all the way through the finals online. So, again, huge ratings for online and also big, big numbers for sponsorships. Our next headline, members of the U.S. House, led by Representative Maxine Waters this week, issued a letter that urged President Bush to reconsider his decision to attend the Beijing Olympics. The letter was signed by 14 Democrats, and it reads, it would be clearly inappropriate for you to attend the Olympic Games in China, given the increasingly repressive nature of that country's government. Now, we may recall that last week, France President Nicolas Sarkozy, uh, he said he may stay away from the opening ceremonies. Nathan, I've been asked this on other programs I don't see any nations, any major nations boycotting the Olympics, but I could see President Bush and Mr. Sarkozy from France. I could see them staying away from the opening ceremonies in protest of what's happening in China and their practices around the world. Well, I'm on the fence here because I do agree that maybe Bush should stay away and jump on board with everybody else. But given the state of the United States, uh, European affairs and outlooks and, and worldview, I don't know. I think George Bush might, it might be beneficial for him to show up in China. Everybody seems to be uh, down on the United States, and I think that it's a tough decision for Bush, and normally I'd agree with you, but I'm not so sure right now. Well, I got to tell you, whether it's President Bush or whoever it is, it's kind of the damned if you do, damned if That's you don't That's exactly scenario. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I think if you go, people are going to criticize you for not taking a stand and protesting what China is doing around the world. If you don't go, then you're going to have people saying, you know what, you should have gone and represented your country. Well, without getting too political, I think that George Bush has kind of made a statement with everything that he's done during his presidency, so I'm not so sure he's concerned about the damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think he's going to do what George Bush wants to do. This is a story we will keep our eyes on. Our next headline, the IOC this week 
told Bokog officials that the Internet must be open during this summer's Beijing Games. Beijing routinely blocks Chinese access to some foreign news websites and blogs, a practice it has stepped up since rioting broke out two weeks ago in Tibet. You guys, I can tell you firsthand, and I talked to you when I was in uh, Beijing last September. When I was on the Internet in my hotel room, there are many sites that are blocked. Uh, The Chinese government blocks your Internet surfing ability. For instance, I tried to go on uh, to Google and find Tiananmen Square. You won't find Tiananmen Square, anything having to do with Tiananmen Square in the history books, in the media, or you won't be able to access those Internet sites from China. They blocked some of my work. I posted something on my blog. The next morning I woke up, it was gone. It disappeared. So I can tell you firsthand that they block certain Internet sites, and what the IOC and journalists around the country are saying is, hey, if we went anywhere else around the world for these Olympics, we'd have free access to the Internet. Don't shut us off to certain sites. And again, China, communist country, don't tell us what we can and can't do as far as the media is concerned. Well, I think it's imperative that the Chinese government allow journalists to report with integrity and report what they see because they're going to be ostracized if they don't. And if they limit journalists from writing what they see, I think, you know, this has already been a very controversial Olympics. I think to save a little face, the Chinese government has to allow a little bit of freedom of speech over there for the Olympics. This is going to be a battle, and uh, I'm telling you, it's going to come down to the wire, and I think this will be a huge story this August. By the way, 30,000 journalists expected to cover the Olympics in August in Beijing. Our next headline, former Indiana Pacers president and CEO Donnie Walsh was introduced on Wednesday as Knicks president of basketball operations at a press conference at Madison Square Garden. Walsh has done a terrific job with the Pacers. The Pacers have had their problems with off-the-court problems in, in recent years, but as far as an eye for talent and a guy who's respected by Commissioner David Stern and around the league, Walsh is a much better option, in most people's opinion, than Isaiah Thomas. Speaking of Isaiah Thomas, he is stripped of his role as president of the Knicks. He's still the head coach, but who knows how long he will be the head coach of the Knicks now that Donnie Walsh is in power. Brian, i got to ask you, if you're Donnie Walsh, why do you go to the New York Knicks? I mean, the organization is in just disarray and shambles right now. You're coming from the Pacers. You've done a fantastic job there. Why go to the New York Knicks? I mean, it's a make-you-or-break-you job right now if you walk into that organization. Two reasons. One, because when Donnie Walsh took this job, he said, I will only report to James Dolan, the owner of the Knicks. So he's got direct contact. He also had a number of different things, like lifting this ridiculous media uh, policy that they have. He wants to be able to talk to the media. He wants his players to be able to talk to the media. The other thing is this. This is the biggest reason. The Knicks... That's a good job when things are going well. In two years, and it seems like a long time, but two years from now, most of these ridiculous contracts that they have that make them the highest team payroll in the NBA, those come off the books. You can start from scratch. In two years, there are some pretty good free agents out there, and I think they think that Donnie Walsh is the guy that can use free agency and also the draft in the next few years to turn things around for the Knicks. Well, I think the black guy is not going to be gone until Isaiah Thomas is no longer a part of the Knicks organization. Until then, everybody's going to associate the Knicks as being kind of the low, slummy organization that they are, even with Donnie Walsh aboard. Well, from what he's done as a coach to what he's done as an executive building this roster— 
to the embarrassment of last summer with the sexual harassment trial. Isaiah Thomas has been a disaster in New York. I think his NBA career in all shapes and forms is done as soon as he leaves this job, and I expect that to be no later than this summer. Our last headline, the NFL owners' meetings were held in Palm Beach, Florida this week. At the meetings on Tuesday, Patriots owner Robert Kraft delivered an apology for the Spygate scandal and its residual fallout. Uh, Kraft expressed remorse for the team illegally filming defensive signals. Bill, Pellet, Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, also issued a heartfelt apology. And this is a guy who doesn't apologize for many things. It was very well received by the owners. They got a standing ovation. And the owners are now saying, this is a dead issue. It's been put behind us. Well, yeah. And, you know, Robert Kraft is a great owner. I, I have a lot of respect for Robert Kraft. And Bill Belichick made a mistake here. And anyone else, it seems like. I mean, if this was Isaiah Thomas, we'd be criticizing yeah. him right on the show. But we're willing to forgive Bill Belichick for this. And I'm not so sure that would be the case with other uh, coaches around the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. But Belichick, he's a great coach, and I think he's a good guy. Even though the owners have said this is a dead issue, Arlen Specter and Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is the guy who may have videotape, incriminating videotape from the walkthrough in the Super Bowl against St. Louis. That's yet to be determined. I don't think it's quite a dead issue yet, but I think it was good that Kraft and Belichick got up and addressed the owners at the meetings this week. Coming up next, we're going to look at opening week in Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, despite what we say about Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig, it is a thriving industry. It's never been more healthy financially. $6 billion a year they make. And uh, we've got some interesting stats for you, everything ranging from top players uh, to what they make to some of the teams. Who are the top teams? Who are some of the low teams? And we've got a real surprising statistic to share with you. That's coming up next when we look at Major League Baseball. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Experts say buy what you know, and you know sports, right? But is it a good buy? For an insider's look at sports on Wall Street, Sports Business Radio presents Stock Up, Stock Down. All right, it is opening week in Major League Baseball. I know myself and Nathan, Bobby, Big baseball fans, and uh, we all have our favorite teams, but uh, there's a lot of business around Major League Baseball. And number one, like I said before we go to break, Major League Baseball sold more tickets last year than they've ever sold in the history of the game. They are now a $6 billion industry. That's a lot of money to you kids out there. 
Uh, but we wanted to go over some just really amazing financial figures that the Associated Press put out this week. Um, let's first start by talking about some of the highest paid players that are out there. And you only have to look to one guy, really. And that's Alex Rodriguez. He signed a big deal with the Yankees during the offseason, a 10-year deal. Obviously, we all saw how he uh, opted out of his contract during the World Series. People were offended by that. But, Nathan, here's the stat. This is really all you need to know. Alex Rodriguez this year, by himself, will make more money than the entire roster of the Florida Marlins. That is staggering. Staggering. I think it's $28 million is what he's going to make this year, which translates into about $2.5 million a month. Can you imagine making $2.5 million a month? I mean, the average salary in Major League Baseball is $3 million for the season. Alex Rodriguez is almost making that in a month. I mean, those numbers are astronomical. Yeah, and the thing that I'm just as astounded by, frankly, forget about Alex Rodriguez's salary. I am astounded that the 33-man roster of the Florida Marlins, $21.8 million for the entire roster. They are by far the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball. You almost wonder, how can you be competitive with such a low payroll? The, The Marlins will do a good job, I'm sure. But, you know, you almost wonder, doesn't there need to be like a, a basement here that you need to stay above? Because the Marlins seem like, hey, they'll go as low as they can go. One word for you, Brian, Hoosiers. And I'll tell you what that means. It's a team effort. And, you know, we talk about this year after year. Alex Rodriguez hasn't won a World Series yet. And there's too many All-Stars on the New York Yankees. It seems to be a trend that teams that even if they have a lower payroll, play well together, and they win together, and there's not a bunch of all-stars stealing the spotlight, and I think that's going to continue to be the case with the Yankees. Well, I agree with you to a point. I will say this. Just because you spend a lot of money doesn't equate to success like you just pointed out. But I think $21.8 million is ridiculous. If you look, last year we talked on the show, the Cleveland Indians, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Colorado Rockies, all with payrolls in between $50 and $60 million. If you can be successful with a payroll in that range, that's terrific. But $21.8 million, come Might on. Might be a little low. So let me go through the list of highest team payrolls. The Yankees, not surprisingly, tops the payroll list. $209.1 million they're going to pay uh, this year. And the Detroit Tigers, obviously they acquired Miguel Cabrera, Dontrell Willis. They shot up to second place, 138 million. So look at that gap between the Yankees, 209, and the second place team, the Tigers, 138.7. That's huge. Then after that, the New York Mets, who signed Johan Santana this offseason, their third, 138.3 million. That's up from 121 million at the end of last year. And then the World Series champion, Boston Red Sox, fourth at 133.4 million. Bunched together after that, Chicago White Sox, 121.2 million. The Los Angeles Angels, $119.2 million. The Chicago Cubs, $118.6 million. Los Angeles Dodgers, $118.5 million. And the Seattle Mariners, $118 million. Nathan, quick question. What does that list have in common? What does that list have in common? They're American League teams? I don't know. Well, they're all big market teams. Well, sure. You don't see Kansas City. You don't see Oakland. You don't see any of the small market teams on that list. And that's because... 
the teams in the big markets like New York, they're making tons of money from their cable packages, from their brand spanking new stadiums. Don't forget, next year, the Yankees and Mets move into new stadiums. They're going to make a lot more money. We'll have tons more revenue coming in because of the brand spanking new stadiums. Just like our next guest, Stan Kasten from the Washington Nationals. The Nationals are going to make about $50 million more in revenues this year as opposed to last year because of the honeymoon with their new stadium. Yeah, the Yankee Stadium, over $1 billion, which puts it in perspective. They're spending $200 million plus on a team of players and then $1 billion on a stadium. Look at the Yankees organization and the money that pumps through that system is unbelievable. So... Alex Rodriguez, we discussed, $28 million, highest paid player in baseball. Who else is on the list? New York first baseman Jason Giambi. Not putting up the numbers he put up when they signed him to the deal. He's second in baseball, $23.4 million. Yankees shortstop Derek Jeter, $21.6 million. And then Boston left fielder Manny Ramirez, $18.9 million. The top three highest paid players in baseball, they're all New York Yankees. I mean, that's, that's, I guess, how you arrive at $209 million for your team payroll. And what do they have to show for it in the last couple of years, Brian? Nothing. They've got no world championship. If you're paying players that much, they better be winning. Now, we were talking earlier how the owners make a lot of money. Attendance is terrific. But guess what? The players aren't doing too badly either. As you were saying earlier, a record 434 players are making a million dollars or more, breaking the record set in 2001 and matched last year. And there was a big boost at the top with 85 players making $10 million or more, up from 66 players last year. And the average salary for a Major League Baseball player this year $3 million. Nathan, we're in the wrong business. We are in the wrong business, Brian, and it still seems so ironic to me that the NFL is bar, bar none the number one watch sport in America, and we're, we're talking about baseball salaries being twice as much as most NFL salaries, and NBA, I mean, for, for me personally, Major League Baseball is third behind the NFL The NBA, they fall third to me. We know that NFL is first, and it's amazing to me that these salaries, that they're just dishing out so much money. Well, the one thing I will say quickly that differentiates the NFL from the NBA and the Major League Baseball is that in the NFL, contracts are not guaranteed. Your signing bonus is guaranteed, but beyond that, it's not guaranteed. But you don't see contracts even near Alex Rodriguez's contract guaranteed or not guaranteed. Well, you see some $70, $80 million contracts, but I agree with you. And, you know, the other thing is you look at a guy like Jason Giambi, who's making $23.4 million. He's not nearly the player he was when he was signed. Yeah, they've got, they've basically, they're stuck with that contract. How many NBA players have we talked about where you get into a bad six-year contract, you're stuck with that contract? In the NFL, one of the best things about the league and the reason it's the healthiest league in America is because if you have a guy who's not performing You can get out of that contract, and that's a big thing. So the other thing I wanted to address in this segment is, you know, there have been some big acquisitions this offseason, and it's interesting to see how some of these teams market the big acquisitions. Uh, Miguel Cabrera in Detroit, they're really using him 
to reach out to their Hispanic fan base. And he's been in several of their commercials, and they're paying him a lot of money. They just signed him to a huge, lucrative contract. He's going to be one of the cornerstones of that franchise going forward. But they're reaching out to a new audience that they haven't really targeted before, Nathan. Yeah, Bobby loves it because he's a diehard Tigers fan, and Dontrell Willis as well. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is more than just reaching out to the Hispanic population. He's a heck of a player, and I think he brings more than just the Hispanic Hispanic population. He brings the casual fan. He's become a household name, so more people are prone to watch the Detroit Tigers than ever before. The other two guys that uh, caught my eye, Johan Santana in New York with the Mets, and then Torrey Hunter with the Los Angeles Angels. Both of these guys were used extensively in the marketing campaigns leading into the season, and they will be used during the season. Both big names, both big acquisitions during the offseason, both being paid a lot of money. So the owners are basically saying, hey, I'm going to pay you all this money. Not only do I want you to perform on the field, but I want to make you one of the faces of my franchise, and I'm going to include you in all of my marketing efforts going forward. Makes a lot of sense. As they should. If you're getting paid that much money, you better be on board for all the marketing efforts and everything that goes along with making that much money. It's really amazing how much one player can impact an organization. Even Joe Torre going to Los Angeles Dodgers, he is a manager. He's not even on the field, but he brings people to the stands. People want to see the legendary Joe Torre. Well, we talked about that with Frank McCourt, the owner of the Dodgers, last week. I mean, that's like a free agent acquisition, and, and maybe even more so because of the effect that he's going to have on all the players on that roster. Coming up next, Stan Kasten. He is the president of the Washington Nationals. The Nationals opened up their brand spanking new beautiful ballpark this week. Uh, last Sunday on ESPN, President George W. Bush threw out the first pitch, and in storybook fashion, Ryan Zimmerman, the Nationals' third baseman, hits a walk-off home run to the delight of all the fans, and there you have it. Welcome to your new stadium. It's been pretty uh, amazing how they've built this new stadium in only 23 months. It usually takes 36 months to build a new stadium. 23 months they got this done, and by all reviews so far, a fantastic facility. We're going to talk to Stan Kasten, the president of the Washington Nationals, coming up next. You're listening to Sports business radio we'll be right back hi this is brian berger host of sports business radio when i'm looking for a place to have dinner with family friends or business associates there's only one restaurant on my list morton's the steakhouse the best steak anywhere in its 28th year in business morton serves only the finest quality foods featuring usda prime age beef fresh seafood hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, Go online to Morton's.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere, and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Stan Kasten. He's the president of the Washington National. Stan, very busy week for you. Uh, thanks for joining us. 
Yeah, it's great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me back. So let's see. President Bush throws out the first pitch. Uh, The game is nationally televised on ESPN. And then Ryan Zimmerman hits a walk-off home run. I'd say that's a pretty good way to christen the new ballpark. Yeah, it was much better than anything we could have. uh, If we had tried to plan something, that's what we would have wanted. Uh, So, yeah, it. Everything went as well as we could have uh, expected that night. We're we're feeling pretty good about everything right now. So every time you open a new facility, there's kinks to be worked out. Did everything go pretty much as you had hoped on opening night? All the big things. All the big things were uh, just fine, and uh, and that's what matters. Uh, We have a bunch of kinks, as you say, hiccups, you know, little things, punch list items to fix. Um, But all the major things got done, no catastrophes, no breakdowns of any large uh, systems, and uh, I think we're ready to have a great year here. So let's talk about some of the details of Nationals Park. Your press people sent me all the details and uh, lots of great stuff, but what would you say are the three to four signature features of the new ballpark for people who aren't really familiar with it? Well, first of all, it's a very pretty park. I think it's colorful, it's interesting, and, and the vista from foul pole to foul pole, which fans focus on, is very nice. We're going to have our cherry blossoms blooming in about a week or so. That will make it even prettier. Yeah, I love that. It's it's wide open uh, places to gather, starting with our, our dramatic entry plaza, going all the way around the park with our open uh, concourses where you can watch the game even if you're out of your seat. It has a lot of fan amenities, games and things going on, as well as bars, restaurants, and real gathering places. So I just think it can be characterized as a real fan stadium. Um, in addition to the basics, like the great proximity of seats to the field and the great angles, the, the, the immense scoreboard, it's also just a fun place to hang out, walk around, and do other things. So we're, we're very proud of, of the, whole, the whole final product. And then, you know, this is in the nation's capital. Washington, D.C. is already a tourist destination. I imagine people now coming to D.C. have one more thing to add to their list. Talk about the traits that make Washington, D.C. a unique place to host Major League Baseball. Well, as you say, it's our nation's capital, and we we take seriously our responsibility of representing uh, the national pastime in the nation's capital. We're the only team in sports that can say that, and we're proud of that. Uh, we tell people we've built Washington's newest monument because the city of monuments is a city of places to visit. Right now we're living through the, the two weeks of Cherry Blossom Festival, which which might very well make it one of the prettiest cities in the world, in addition to making it the most important city in the world. So, you know, we, we have a lot of those uh, characteristics that are unique that no other city in the world can uh, lay claim to. And I think we have a ballpark to match the grandeur of all those other designations. So, Stan, Nationals Park looks like it seats about 41,000 people, 66 luxury suites. The ballpark cost about $600 million to build. It was paid for mostly with taxpayer dollars. I know the learners kicked in quite a bit of money as well. And I know the financing of the ballpark was a big issue early on. Was there ever a time when you and the learners thought maybe this ballpark isn't going to get built? Uh, Well, not since we got here, because everything uh, uh, with the contracts were buttoned up before we received the team. In fact, the day after we got the team, we attended the groundbreaking. So so we knew that it would get done. We didn't know we could knock it out in 23 months. We didn't know that could happen, so it took... uh, uh, Herculean efforts by all parties, and uh, and and in particular, it took Herculean teamwork. But the city people, the construction people, the team people, all got together, all wrestled through the, the you know the the 
usual daily issues. Uh, but we got it done, and we crossed the finish line in time. Hey, you've now overseen two constructions for Turner Field in, in Atlanta and now Nationals Park. Well, well three, actually, because I also did uh, Phillips Arena. Oh, my God. So what is, for a ballpark like this, what is, you just said 23 months, what's the normal amount of time that people usually take to build a ballpark? I, I think it's it's best done if you can give people a full 36 months from uh, design. Wow. To uh, from groundbreaking to construction, but but we we employed a lot of techniques to uh, to shave some of that time. And again, it's a tribute to the designers and it's a tribute to the construction team of Clark Hunt Smoot that did a great great job. Well, in Nationals Park, from what I'm reading, is the first lead certified sports facility in the United States. You've got to be very proud of that. When did you make the decision that you wanted to be green with this ballpark? I think that was always in the background, uh, right from the. Uh, uh, Wrongs on the uh, on the design uh, table. I think uh, when we got here, we certainly endorsed that. The Lerner family is uh, very envir- environmental conscious. Their their new headquarters uh, building that's going up now will also be LEED certified. Will be a green building, and we didn't just get a LEED certification. We got a LEED silver certification, which is a step up from the basic certification. We're the first stadium ever to get that, and uh, you know we thought it was important. And if it was at all doable, we wanted to do it. It was one of our goals, and I'm, I'm proud to say that we pulled it off. We're joined by Stan Cast, and he's the president of the Washington Nationals. Okay, Stan, it's Nationals Park. Do you have plans to sell the naming rights to the ballpark? Well, we do. We're certainly open to the idea, um, and we're in discussions with several different entities about that. I don't have any news or uh, expectations that I'll have any announcement for you. Uh, at any specific time, but I'm confident that we will find the right partner and the right deal to make it happen at some point. But we don't, uh, you know, we we don't feel any pressure to do it in a hurry. We want to get it right. Yeah, I mean, I would think in the nation's capital, I look what the Redskins got for FedEx Field. They got a ton of money, and I would think it's a great opportunity for some corporate sponsor, if you do decide to go that route, to uh, put their name on your ballpark. Well, I think so, too, and I think a lot of people feel the same way, and now we just have to you know, work through the different agendas that different companies have and see which ones fit with ours and, and see if we can find a deal that works. Stan, last season at RFK Stadium, you averaged about 24,000 fans. You know, anytime you move into a new ballpark, the attendance goes up. I see you may jump up as much as 35,000 fans a game. Because of the increased revenues from your new ballpark, are you guys going to become more aggressive with your player payroll? I see that you have no player under contract beyond 2009, so it looks like uh, you've got a lot of flexibility with your roster. Well, as you're building your franchise, we thought uh, that that flexibility was critical. We didn't want to get lumped, uh, you know, bogged down with, with something that might not work for us in the future. So we've been very cautious about that as we build through the minor leagues, through our uh, scouting and player development apparatus. And, uh, and again, that, that process has moved very well for us. We've had uh, tremendous progress in the last 18 months in accomplishing that. And so now as our prospects bubble up closer to the major leagues when we combine them with whatever veterans we have uh if we haven't made any mistakes on long-term contracts up here i think we'll really optimize our opportunity to make it all happen all at the same time that may happen later in 08 it may happen in 09 but but i think we're poised uh to put a very successful team on the product uh, on the field very very soon 
What are the expectations of the fans in D.C. for our nationwide audience who, you know, doesn't really know the mindset of the D.C. sports fan? Uh, what are they thinking? Do they say, hey, you better win right now, or are they going to be patient with you for a few years? You know, I, I, well, I think there are fans of all kinds, but, but we've been very direct, very open since day one. This is how we're going to build it. I don't think you can build uh, a franchise by just going out and signing a lot of free agents. And, and I will show you 100 examples of teams that have failed trying to do it that way. We think we need to build our infrastructure first. We've set about doing that extremely aggressively. And we think the uh, the results are starting to show from that. So, yeah, there, there are fans. I'm sure that uh, we'll stay home until we're, you know, a championship team. And there are others, and I would say most, that are very comfortable with how we're going about this and that are ready to support us, and probably even more so now, that we have a great venue that will give you a great time, a great afternoon or a great evening, no matter what's happening on the field. So I, I'm, I'm confident that the support here in Washington will continue to be as strong as it has been our first three years. Well, I've got to tell you, I love some of the moves you made in the offseason. Uh, Lasting's millage. Uh, obviously, Ryan Zimmerman's a, a tremendous player. Uh, you know, Austin Kearns, you acquired him at the end of last season. You've got a really nice young core of talent. Well, I do, and you know, that that's not an accident. That's what we were trying to accomplish. Um, we have uh, some, you know, a good mix right now of veterans with uh, with young, athletic, high-potential guys. And the best news of all for us is watching our rotation in Columbus this year, where we have five or six pitchers in our rotation, all of whom will be pitching in the major leagues very, very soon. That's a thrilling prospect for us. We see all of them as the next wave, and that wave is right around the corner. And once we have a stable rotation up here in Washington, then the sky's the limit for our team on the field. Stan, i got to tell you, every time I watch a move that you guys make, whether it's on the field or off, I can't help but look at what you did with the Braves. Are you taking some of that playbook and just you know, using it here with the Nationals? Because obviously it was very successful. You turned the Braves into really the model organization in Major League Baseball. Well, uh, you know, the, surely there were things that happened in Atlanta that were great and that I would always try to copy. I think other theme, teams copy. But, but I look at, you know, all of the successful teams to copy ideas from them. My, my, my very deeply held belief about building through player development doesn't come from the Braves or any other team. It goes back as far as Branch Rickey in the 30s. You know, I just think it's, it's the right way to do it. But to do it successfully, you need the patience and the support of owners. We had that in Atlanta, and we really have it here in Washington. And that's why we're going to be successful, because I think we've designed uh, our methodology. We have ownership support. Uh, the entire learner family is behind us and uh, we will be given the time and the resources to make it happen. We are with Stan Kasten, the president of the Washington Nationals. We've got just a few minutes left. Stan, I've got a three-year-old daughter, and when I go to sporting events now, I look at things completely differently than I did before I had a child. I see you've got some really cool things for the kids. Uh, You've got a -a Build-A-Bear workshop. You've got a karaoke stage, batting and pitching cages. It looks like you really... uh, have targeted the young families coming to your games. Yeah, she'll probably like our very elaborate baseball-themed jungle gym. Ah. Um, and we have kids' concession stands with uh, you know smaller food items as well as a peanut butter and jelly bar. We, you know, we uh, for me to get my two or three million fans, I need to reach out to a lot more than just hardcore fans who sit there keeping score on every play. We need to reach out. To non-hardcore fans, we need need to reach out to to kids, to seniors, to ethnic groups, to every different possible kind of uh, 
demographic. And so we need a park that accommodates all of them. That's what I think we have here. And I think everyone who comes out to the park is going to have a great time. Every park has its signature food items. For instance, you know, Dodger Dogs at Dodger Stadium. If I'm coming to Nationals Park, what do you suggest I eat and drink while I'm there? Well, one of the signatures about food in uh, Nationals Park is variety. We have everything you can imagine. We have 11 local vendors. And over the first weekend, the, the stands that got the most attention were, were, were local institutions like Ben's Chili Bowl and Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Though Those were very popular. Uh, if there's a signature item, I'll, I'll direct you to Noah's Pretzels, a local vendor who has come up with the Curly W pretzel, shaped in the <laughs> shape of our logo. It's a delicious, freshly baked, hand-rolled pretzel. And, you know, it, it says Washington Nationals. What could be better than that? Yeah, one of the things I saw in, in the press items that were sent my way is that it looks like you also serve foods that are signature items at other ballparks around the country, and at least yeah. National League teams. I think that's really clever. At the taste of the majors, that's what it's for. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, what we think about when fans come to the ballpark is there's not, not one thing that everyone's going to like, but we think everyone's going to find something that they like because we've put so much variety into the park. We think that's the way to go. We're proud of what we've been able to accomplish so far. And if there are better ideas down the road, we're very, very happy to adjust and continue to revise and improve. Stan, last question. I see the Pope is scheduled to say Mass at National Park sometime this month. How did that come about? Well, he heard about the Curly W pretzel. <laughs> no, he, uh, he wanted to uh, uh, hold two Masses in the United States, and he chose Yankee Stadium in New York and Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. It really is uh, the exclamation point on my claim that we are the most important venue in the most important city in the world, and these are the kind of things that will take place at Nationals Park. So as I said when I started, we take our responsibility very seriously. We think we've delivered on the promises we made, and this is just one more indication of that. Well, Stan, thanks for joining us. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Stan, congratulations on the opening of Nationals Park. You guys are doing a wonderful job there. Uh, keep up the good work, and I hope to get out there one of these days and uh, check it out in person. Thanks, Brian. Good thanks, talking to you. Thank you, Stan. Bye. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Great to catch up with Stan Kasten, the president of the Washington Nationals. I hope that I get a chance to go out to Washington, D.C. and check out what sounds like a fantastic ballpark. All right, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, it's time for Major League Baseball predictions. I want to know who you're picking to be in the World Series and who you're picking to win the World Series. Let's start with you, Nathan. I'd like to say that the Chicago Cubs in their 100th year is going to win the World Series. And you know who they're going to play? They're going to play the Indians because I think the Indians are a fantastic organization. I can see them making it all the way. And I've just got to go with the Cubs every single year. It's never going to change until they win it. I can tell you Bobby's going to go with the Tigers. Bobby, am I right about that? Yes, you are. Uh, I was going to go with the Cubs, but I'm going West Coast. I'm going Dodgers. I really, really like the way that their bullpen is going to be set up come October. Just, I just have a feeling about it. Well, and Joe Torre. I mean, he's going to do a great job there. All right. I'm going to go. They're young, but they showed last year that they can uh, perform. I think they have great pitching. They acquired Danny Heron in the offseason. I'm going to go Arizona Diamondbacks with a real Big terrific there. young core. Uh, and I'm going to say that they're going to play the Boston Red Sox. I think the Red Sox, even though their pitching isn't as good with the loss of Kurt Schilling, um, I think they're going to find a way back there. Their hitting is good. They've got some real good young players with uh, Jacoby Ellsbury, uh, Dustin Pedroia. So I'm going to go Red Sox and Arizona Diamondbacks, and we are going to save this show. And this fall, we're going to play it back and see who's right. But 1908 to 2008, 100 years of the Cubs, I would be very happy to see the Cubs break through and finally win the World well, Series. Well, if you watch their opening game, I'm I'm already a little hesitant, but uh, that's being a Cubs fan, I guess. Yeah, I made sure I had my Fantasy League Baseball draft this week, and I made sure to stay far away from uh, one Kerry Wood and also Eric Gagne, who is uh, he's sticking it up so far this year, too. All right, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Thank you to each and every one of them. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com. You can also go to Apple's iTunes. Click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Enjoy the final four. I'm going to go UCLA, North Carolina. I've got UCLA in my pool. We will see if the Bruins can bring it home after two previous years in the final four have a great week we'll see you next weekend sports business radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports robert sarver the owner of the phoenix suns when people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.